this one. In the Pew Bible, Bibles, it's found on page 1325. Jonah uh, chapter 4, verse 1, starting on page 1325 on the, in the Pew Bibles. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in to love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Amen. Good morning again. It'd be great if you could have a Bible open at Jonah chapter 4. Uh, and as we do that, let's pray. Let's ask God for help to understand his word. Let's pray. Now, loving Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would open your word to us this morning. And we pray that by your spirit also, you would open our hearts to receive your word. And Father, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, yesterday, Nari and I celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. Yeah, that's right. Celebrates a strong word. Um, after 17 years, you would think that I know my wife, Nari, pretty well. And I don't know why, but for some reason recently, we were chatting about love languages and the giving and receiving of gifts and all that kind of gear. Uh, I've never been a big one for buying Nari flowers because I'm sure... I'm sure I've heard her say, no, I don't like flowers. I always thought chocolate was the way to her heart. But there's this revelation in our kitchen oh, a couple of months ago. No, I actually do like flowers. I just don't like expensive ones. So, you know, dropping 50 bucks on just a few roses, not a thing. So sorry any florists in the room. But the cheapies, especially the orange roses at Woolies, that's the stuff, right? 
I really did think that I had my wife pegged as a sensible lady who thought flowers were a silly waste of time, but no. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, that you can think you know someone, you think you can understand them, think you, you understand them, but there's a but. I've learned a valuable lesson about my wife and her heart, and I wonder if Jonah as you've been living with him for the last weeks, is in a similar spot now when it comes to understanding God. You know, he's a prophet from Israel who probably thinks, yeah, I know God, we're on the same page. But as you've read this morning, it shows otherwise. There's what he thinks he knows and what's really going on for him. Uh, Back in chapter 1, he thinks he can run from God. He thinks he knows best in terms of who should hear God's word not Nineveh. Uh, He's experienced, hasn't he, the very deep mercy of God. When he's just about as far away from God as you can get down in the depths, he experiences that. And you would think that that corrects his understanding of God and his deep mercy. But even after he goes and preaches to Nineveh, that eight-word sermon back in chapter 3, verse 4, and look, the jury's out in my mind as to whether or not he's giving the whole truth and nothing but the truth there. Even after Nineveh is really overthrown in a way that just blows your mind. I mean, it's the kind of revival preachers would give their right arm for. You know, the angels are rejoicing in heaven. Even after all of that, verse 1, he's angry. But to Jonah, this, this relenting by God of bringing destruction on Nineveh is wrong. It's more like in the Hebrew something like it's a great evil to Jonah. And maybe that's because, based on the way he's preached, he looks like a false prophet. The doom hasn't come true. So in verse 2, it just now becomes explicit why he runs away back in chapter 1. In his anger, which is an interesting place to pray, isn't it? It's probably about the best thing he does here, praise to God in his anger. It comes out, I knew you'd be compassionate. But again... Just like me getting a lesson about what my wife really likes, Jonah's getting a lesson in what God really likes when it comes to mercy. And folks, it's a lesson I think we need as well. As the year kicks off, so to speak, in church land, we're a church seeking to know Christ and make him known in our city. It's a lesson we need to get us on the same page as God, understanding his heart. And I think the first thing you see in the passage Understanding God's more than just head knowledge, isn't it? Like, look at his prayer again in verse 2. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Like, so he's passed the Sunday school scripture exam, nailed his catechism. Those words are straight out of Exodus chapter 34, a part of Israel's fundamental confession of faith, very words from God, about what he is like, given to Moses. And the relenting bit is probably part of Joel chapter 2. But the head knowledge, and then even Jonah going eventually and doing the right thing, it doesn't make for a happy heart, a heart like God's. Burning with anger. Unlike the God who is slow to anger. Angry with God being God. Angry with sovereign grace at work, so much so he's rather, he'd rather be dead 
It's rather abrupt, isn't it? And so God queries him about his rightness in this in verse 4. It strikes me, you know, the contrast right here, even between Jonah and Nineveh, their, their theology, you know, like no Sunday school exam there, they're at the, who knows with God? <laughs> and they're doing right. And Jonah's got the head knowledge, but not the heart. And so there's more, isn't there, to understanding God than getting the head stuff right, which is something us Presbyterians love. Something I've been thinking about is, yes, I've just started here as the ministry development pastor, which means I'm supposed to be and am concerned about your growth as a disciple of Jesus. And that's connected with our head, isn't it? What we know about God, what we know about his son. It means growth in your knowledge of God through the scriptures. Don't get me wrong, learning what the Bible teaches really does matter deeply. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, though, uh, writing about Jonah, sounds a really helpful warning and it's a bit wordy, but stick with me. He writes, How easily outward behaviour and established patterns of belief can hide from men the true need they have for a new heart which beats in time with the heart of God. We should never be deceived into thinking that outward conformity to group norms, professions of conversion or intellectual assent to orthodox doctrines are the same thing as a true heart knowledge of God no amount of love for patterns of truth is exactly the same thing as love for Christ. Yeah, look, bring on the doctrine, I reckon. I think it's tragic when Christians do not know the Bible, when we've got it, <laughs> just got access to it so easily. They don't know what we believe and why, and it's tragic also when we're not teachable. So come hungry to learn each Sunday. If being in a now what's called a growth group has not been on your radar in previous years, maybe it's time to get it onto your radar and I'll muddle you into one in some way, shape or form. But as we engage with God's word, as we grow in our head knowledge, our hearts need to be deeply touched by God's compassion. Which brings us to the second thing I think you see here, what God's aiming at with Jonah his understanding of God's heart involves also understanding his own heart. In verse 5, Jonah heads out to town. I think he sort of goes from west to east three days, sits out on the east side and builds a shelter to sit in. If I understand things right, it's possibly a bit like the shelter that Israel built for their festival of booths, which was a festival connected with celebrating a harvest. Irony of ironies, eh? He's watching one but doesn't really care. I think in Hebrew the word is sukkah and it just strikes me it's the sukkah booth. But anyway, um, verse 6, notice what goes on. The Lord provides this leafy plant, this vine that springs up in a night and provides relief which Jonah's super happy about. Next day, verse 7, provides, Lord provides a worm that chews and withers it. Verse 8, next morning as the sun begins to burn, he provides a scorching east wind. Uh, it's like a little slow cooker for Jonah, isn't it? Stewing in his juices. He's hot and bothered physically and emotionally, isn't he? And would rather be dead again. I'd rather die than God be God. My goodness. Now, you might think God is just toying with him. But God doesn't do that with us. Not a gracious and compassionate God. It's providence again. 
the providing that pops up in this passage. It's the same as the providing of a big fish back in chapter 1, verse 17. God saves him there and boy, oh boy, he needs saving now. Verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Again, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But do you see what God's doing? The plant withering, uh, sorry, springing up and withering. His anger, it just outs what's in Jonah's heart. And so God names it in verse 10. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. You see where he's going with this. You're angry enough to die over a plant that comes and goes, but you are not grieved over the prospect of people withering under God's judgment. Utterly self-absorbed with skew-if priorities. Plants before people. My goodness. And so it pushes me. I don't know if it does it for you what's going on in my heart in terms of compassion what do you care more about like I don't know maybe you do care more about your indoor plants uh, the, the, the lifeless stuff that gathers dust in your garage your investments your superannuation here's the compassion test for me you know just thought experiment a kid on a scooter stacks into the side of my Hilux and takes a big scratch out of it and he falls off and takes a bunch of bark off and is screaming where is my heart drawn in that moment probably to the juco on the hilux but it's it's sad isn't it i wonder if we care more about temporary and fading things and our own comfort than about people you know the masses of people around us who are lost so just pushing a little further into this, for Jonah and for us, perhaps it's got something to do with the way we see and think about people. Now, he thinks some people are worthy, like him, like Israel. They deserve God's compassion, but not Nineveh. People who, yes, admittedly have a terrible reputation. You know that from the book already, don't you? We struggle with this, I think. There's a guy called Randy Newman who's involved in campus ministry in America, wrote an excellent book, 20-odd years ago, called Questioning Evangelism. And he talks about being in a prayer meeting. And it's going, great, they're praying for God's kingdom to come. They're praying for peace in Jerusalem, an end to AIDS in Africa, for church revival. And then there's a prayer request, and this is dated, I know, but it's for Afghanistan. Pray that the members of Al-Qaeda, those responsible for the September 11 attacks on America, hiding in the mountains of Afghanistan, will be convicted of their sin come to faith in Christ and forsake their ties to this terrorist organisation. And he writes, I looked around to see if anyone else was having trouble handling this. Was I the only one with a Jonah complex? And then he says, instead of praying for Al-Qaeda, I prayed for myself. Now we could sub out Al-Qaeda because they're old news, I guess, maybe. You could sub in Russian soldiers and mercenaries in Ukraine. It's sub in the boss at work who's a bully, the ex-wife who's not letting you see your kids, maybe someone from another race or nationality. I don't know. 
Maybe it's just people generally. Maybe it's the vast mass of people around us and you're like, I, do, I, just, I just don't care. <laughs> don't care where they're going. Our hearts need help and we'll come back to this in a moment. But God helps us with our heart. He, he exposes our heart but then he reveals his, doesn't he? We've seen already his mercy is deep in the book of Jonah but this is where you see just how wide his mercy is, Right? You care about a vine which you didn't make grow, here today, gone tomorrow. Here's the question left hanging. Verse 11, should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals, which seems like an odd way to end things. But I wonder if he's just kind of going, look, you cared about a plant, what about the cows? And if you can come at the cows, what about the people? The great city didn't just spring up out of nowhere and wither. It's people who I made, he's saying. People who, unlike vines and cows, have a soul. Who don't know their right hand from their left hand, which is kind of a Hebrew turn of phrase for saying they're in the dark. They are lost. In the last few verses, isn't there a really big contrast between Jonah's heart and God's? Jonah's heart is so angry over a plant, he would die over it. God's heart turned away from him, facing his righteous anger, facing forever death. And he would much rather die than you face it. Call me simple, but this moves me to a text of scripture about God's heart that we might know off by heart but maybe don't know by heart, if you know what I mean. For God so loved the world. And in John's Gospel, that's the world in its bigness and badness. It's badness mainly. For God so loved Nineveh. For God so loved members of Al-Qaeda. For God so loves Russian soldiers. For God so loves the bully at work. For God so loves the ex-wife whoever, the people we think we're better than, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life because his son who he's given perishes under God's right anger over sin instead of us. That is the depth and the width of God's mercy. Uh, Nari pointed out to me rather graciously um, that if I know she actually likes flowers, I'll be picking up some more from Woolies on the way home, orange ones particularly. When you know something about someone, it changes things, doesn't it? The book ends, doesn't it, with no sense of whether Jonah changes or not and gets on the same page, despite what he's just heard. We're going to change, given we know this. I think it's good to finish by thinking about, yes, the deep and wide mercy of God changing us. I think the good news of Jonah is that, well, grace really, as we are often prone to sin, is amazing. So amazing, it saves you and it transforms you. But the thing is with that, I don't think it changes you overnight. Like, compassion for people doesn't just spring up like a vine <laughs> in an instant. And boy, oh boy, we pray it doesn't wither overnight either. And I started heading here earlier. Maybe we need to think about the way we see people and the way God sees them. You know, you are more precious than a plant. 
Uh, you are made by him and people around us are made by him, bearing his image. They are precious souls with eternal trajectories. Yes, they're sinners. Yep, very grievous in some respects. But I think like Jonah, we struggle to see past the folly, the sin and the ugliness of others. The prejudices just blind us to seeing the heart of people. But how does Jesus see people? You know, we'll see this in Matthew's Gospel in a few weeks' time. He looks at the lost sheep of Israel and he is filled with compassion because they are harassed and helpless. You know, they're trying to do life without their king. You know, he sees beneath the surface of people going about their lives and, you know, some people look happy, successful, look like they've got it together, but he sees the effect and the power of sin on us. And I think that's what we're supposed to see in others as well. Uh, think about how hard life is for people, apart from God, apart from knowing him. Like, going through life facing suffering and death without any sure hope of something better. That's how they roll. Knowing no sense of God loving them, no idea they can cry out to him, no idea that they are captive to the world, the flesh and the devil, no idea about heaven and hell. Imagine that. So have a heart, please. You know, they, they are just doing what they think is right and I, th I think the struggle is empathy. I mean, have you ever wondered why people don't believe in God? Like, why do they choose perhaps a different religion or hold a bunch of values or pursue a lifestyle that you find alarming? Yeah, there's a lack of knowledge, but it's because it seems right to them. You made it work who's Muslim, why is he that? Is it, yeah, is it culture? Sure. But maybe it provides him with a bunch of structure and a moral compass which our culture around us just won't give you. And he's like, yeah, you can have that. Why is your flatmate an atheist? Is it because Richard Dawkins is compelling? Yeah, nah. Maybe it's because his overzealous Christian parents were harsh with him. You know, why is she pro-choice? Is it because she hates babies? Or is it because she was trapped in an unplanned pregnancy and the only people who cared for her were the people that helped her do the wrong thing? And on it goes, like, right? Empathy might lead to some compassion and it might open the door to them finding deep mercy. What else uh, to finish? Look, pray for 15. It's something we talked about at our leaders' breakfast yesterday. As a church, we want to see people coming to understand God's mercy and receive it. 15 people is a number that you know, roughly reflects something of the size of our congregation, percentage-wise, 5%, I think. Praying for people. Yeah, we want to see people change, but I think our prayers for others change our hearts, don't they? I certainly change in my demeanour towards people when I start praying for them, particularly the prickly ones. And finally, don't lose sight of God's heart for you. I don't mean to end on a sort of sour note, but I think sadly God's compassion for us, especially if we've been around church for a long time, especially if we've been really well behaved, <laughs> can make us think that we're owed God's mercy. It all just becomes a little ho-hum. So just think, what could God have sent for Jonah when he's down in the ocean instead of a big fish? A shark. <laughs> what could have he sent for Jonah while he's soaking outside of Nineveh instead of a vine? 
pack of vultures, or I don't know. <laughs> what could have he sent for us? No, for God so loved you, he sent his son. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Father, we need your deep mercy and we thank you for it, saving us from sin and death and from your right and just judgment. And we know that that's what our friends, our neighbours and our family and those who we rub shoulders with need as well. It's a great need that often they just do not know that they need, that they have. And we confess also that we don't care nearly enough. Our heart often beats for other things. So Father, have mercy on us again. Uh, Help us to share your heart. Help us to cultivate a heart of compassion for people hearts that love to see your mercy run deep and wide. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.